Welcome to Cosmetics, the number one destination for all things cosmetic enhancement, skincare and beauty. You're joined as always by aspiring beauty gurus, Ella James and Caitlin Gregg. Hi. Hi. <laughs> so everyone, if like us, you indulge a little bit too much over the Christmas and New Year's period, then today you are in for a treat. As we are joined by Dean Kilby from Simpler Health, who transforms lives through his medically directed and evidence-based alternative to permanent weight loss. So I was lucky enough to meet Dean at the end of last year at a Christmas party, and he instantly caught my attention when he explained that he could drive weight loss without the gym. Then we also learned that he runs a business called The Wine Doctor, which, wait for it, promotes vitality and longevity. So it all pretty much sounds too good to be true. So we're very excited to have him on the show today. So before we dive into today's today's episode, Dean, could you quickly explain your background and how you got into this scientific back sort of health and wellness space? Wow. Well, firstly, thanks for having me. That's quite the intro. Um, So my background, I'm a medical biochemist by training. Um, So as we were just saying, I grew up in Bendigo in country Victoria. Um, I had a family that was uh, very heavily impacted by ill health. Um, so I myself don't have um, any kind of backstory around, you know, ill health issues that I overcame and conquered and I've learnt the secret to life. It's nothing like that. I just suffered a lot at the effect of a dad who had uh, chronic diseases like really bad, severe chronic back pain. Uh, he had Crohn's disease, which is an inflammatory mm-hmm. bowel disorder. Uh, he ended up with a colostomy bag. And ultimately what took him was chronic leukemia. Um, so that was, you know, not easy to kind of deal with. And I think growing up, I didn't have too much compassion for what he dealt with as a human being and the kind of pain and suffering he went through. It was just more of an annoyance. It was inconvenient and it was, you know, sometimes embarrassing for me. Um, so as an adult, you know, I kind of, you wake up to yourself, you learn, you have some compassion for what your parents may have gone through. And it's like, wow, how can I contribute um, and make a difference in that world? My brother also was a type 1 diabetic. So actually... Is that the um, hereditary type or is that the one that you grow into? <clears throat> no, it's, it's uh, yeah, there is a hereditary component to it. We used to call it juvenile diabetes. Mm. And then the other kind of diabetes we used to call adult onset or adult type 2 diabetes, but now it's just t- type 1 and type 2. Why? With type 2 diabetes, we see a lot more younger kids now developing that kind of metabolic dysfunction and disease. Mm. So kids as young as 8 years of age are being diagnosed with what used to be called adult onset. So it's just not true. Mm. But my brother had type 1 diabetes, so that's an autoimmune condition where the body kind of attacks the pancreas, destroys the, the cells in the pancreas that secrete insulin. Mm-hmm. Um, and so he had to take insulin injections um, his, his life. And today actually is the 10 year anniversary of my brother's passing. Mm-hmm. So both my, my dad and my brother passed away and about almost four years ago now, my mother passed away from a hemorrhagic stroke. Oh as gosh, well. So, <clears throat> yeah, I still have my sister. She's down in Bendigo. I haven't knocked her off yet. Um, but, you know, she smokes. So <laughs> oh. I haven't been able to impact her in that regard. But life goes how it goes. So I always had this kind of, I guess, commitment to contribute and make a difference. And 
um, studied science and my background, uh, I guess, in, in Geelong, I did my honours degree in biotechnology. Mm-hmm. So I did that research at the Australian, what used to be called the Australian Animal Health Laboratories and uh, studied emerging infectious diseases. So, you know, this past year has been really, uh, from a scientific perspective, quite interesting and, (laughs) you know, very exciting for for me because Mm. it kind of, you know, emerging infectious diseases and then all the way through to metabolic dysfunction, which puts people most at risk of more severe symptoms when infected with COVID-19. Yeah. Um, Yeah, so bringing that to simpler health, could you kind of explain what the philosophy of the business is and what you do? Sure. I mean, I really, what I really want for people is that they stop eating so much. (laughs) If I was to write a book, it would be entitled Stop Freaking Eating So Much. (laughs) Maybe not. Stop eating, stop drinking. (laughs) Portion size or just like more in general? Yeah, more in general. I mean, we do eat huge portion sizes. But we're also eating too much of the wrong stuff. Mm. You know, it's only in the last, say, 50 years, for example, you know, 100, but more so in the past 50 years, we've been eating the way that we do, where we overconsume sugar. Mm. So the average Australian consumes about 42 kilograms of sugar every year, <laughs> which is an extraordinary amount. Our, oh, my gosh. Our bodies weren't really... We didn't evolve to, We need a visual of that. Yeah. Post that on the page. <laughs> 42 kilograms of sugar. Oh my Sorry. Yeah, and that's, you know, the root cause of weight gain, but also, importantly, the inability to lose weight. Mm. You know, there's a lot of people who know a lot who even come to me. I deal with clinical nutritionists and doctors and food technologists who teach all of this science and they're still dealing with issues with their own health and weight. And, you know, they, they ring me up and they're like, what, are, what am I missing here? Mm. What didn't I get right or what, you know? So there's certain foods that one eats that cause us to gain weight, right? And this is the interesting bit. And, and I simplify things because, I mean, if you're gonna ask what's my philosophy, it's empowering people to be uh, to be accountable for their own well-being. And if you just, I think what's going to make the biggest difference um, in terms of improving health outcomes in the community, it's people being accountable for their own well-being. At the moment, you get sick, you defer that accountability to your general practitioner. You, you make it the doctor's responsibility. Mm. GPs, their hands are tied. They're at, they've got to handle so much. I mean, they've got short consult times that they've got to manage. Um, they're at the effect of the pharmaceutical benefits scheme, Medicare, insurance companies, etc. Anything too complicated, they've got to refer you then to a specialist. A specialist, you know, they're a, a very expensive brain trust. Mm. They're a consultant. So they're not really going to hold themselves accountable for the most part for the specific outcome. They'll set you up, but then it's the GP's role to manage that. So then at the end of the day, no one's really responsible or accountable for your well-being, including you as the health consumer. Mm -hmm. So I think what could make the biggest difference is really working with people to educate them in a way that's really palatable and simple for them to assimilate and implement into their own lives such that they can experience making a difference to their own health Mm. you know then the power's in their hands because you don't want to be working with someone for the rest of their life you just want to kind of sort out the issue 
make the train right them lifestyle choices totally and, totally and, and give them what they need so they can go die of something way more exciting than heart disease <laughs> you know that's so beige everybody like does jumping. that <laughs> right or go get up to something way more fascinating and interesting and mm. make a difference and piss a few people off and get assassinated or something <laughs> a great story for the grandkids uh, to tell you know <laughs> it's interesting that you say about the overconsumption though because i think a lot of us are also brought up with our parents saying you have to finish everything on your plate oh and it God, just gets yes. passed through yeah. the generations oh sorry that was passionate <laughs> it just gets passed through the generations because it just becomes a habit Every time I go out with my mom, if I don't finish what I have on my plate, she'll finish it for me because she's just so worried about waste. Yeah. And it's just this overconsumption. My mom's and the same and she gets like angry at me yeah. when I don't. And I'm like, I'm full. I don't want to keep I, eating. So I had this theory, you know, when we go out to eat, there's the argument, oh, you have to eat everything on your plate because um, you're paying for it. You know, don't waste. But really, are you paying for the satisfaction the meal's giving you? And there's only going to be a certain point that mm. you get that satisfaction when it starts deteriorating. Yes. So really, if you want to be paying for how you feel, you don't have to finish the whole meal. Yeah. No, and there are, there are some you know hacks that you could utilize. If you, because portion sizes, when you go out, the if restaurants Huge. and cafes, they make them quite large. because Especially gives, in America, my God. <laughs> exactly. And it, and it doesn't cost them that much more to make the portion size a little bit bigger. Mm. But it occurs to the consumer as great value for money Mm. so you want to come back they want repeat business which is great and we want that as well but if you just asked for the takeaway container to come out with your meal and you halve it then and there and you pack that then you get two meals from the from one and then you can finish what's on Mm. your plate yeah actually a lot of the times ella and i eat out together a lot we just halve a meal Mm. we've learned that the hard way because we never finish anything yeah yeah and how did you create this program Oh, look, I, I base it on primarily on the, the basic scientific principles developed by Dr. Tran. Um, Dr. Tran is based in Europe. He's a Vietnamese Parisian, um, originally a sports medicine physician, and he developed a protocol uh, that was utilized for the French Olympic team right. uh, to get them into shape after the off-season when they would have put on some weight and they need to lose that body fat and get back to an athlete's body composition. But you don't want to compromise. You don't want to lose the weight and compromise your lean muscle mass because they need that to jump straight back into the preseason training. So he developed this protocol and then it's been utilized extensively in North America. Um, I worked with a team of people who brought uh, that protocol and the associated products into Australia. Unfortunately, given the pandemic, um, you know, we couldn't do that anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, so with Simpler Health, I built out my own uh, clinical advisory team of experts and also scientific uh, advisory team as well that includes a metabolic expert, a neurobiologist, a gut health expert, and uh, who else do I have on there? Someone who's an expert in regenerative medicine, um, pain medicine, and even an, an environmental microbiologist, which wow. kind of to make it a, a complete... Um, holistic way of being able to provide for people that level of expertise really, really fast. Because mm-hmm. you want that. You, you need the information that's trusted inside a context of performance and accountability. And there aren't too many practitioners that are out there 
really putting their backside on the line, holding themselves accountable for specific outcomes in your life. Mm. And that's what you want. You want to be accountable. You want to be 100% accountable and everyone else is off the hook, but you want to work with people that have the same philosophy and view. Mm. And if I'm 100% responsible and you're 100% responsible, then together there's something magical that occurs and people can really cause massive shifts in their well-being. So um, that that's really simpler health um, brings together a number of uh, areas of expertise in a way that um, just works, you know, and there's so many, especially when it comes to diet and nutrition, it's as dogmatic these days as religion and politics. So, you know, people are very cautious about what they express in that world mm. these days, you know, for fear of being, you know, inundated with other people's points of view of mm. what they should be eating, what they shouldn't be eating. Oh, you don't have to do that. Just do this. And then even my clients cop it from their, their circle of influence. It's like, oh, no, you, you've lost too much weight now. Yeah. Mm. I think it's like what we were talking about before. Everyone just seems to have an opinion on anything. Like. Of course. Yeah. Um, and just to kind of paint a picture for our audience, like what sort of clients do you have that come to you and then what sort of transformations do you have in terms of results? And is their program personalized? Um, it depends. Uh, so I do get a wide variety of people generally – um, maybe in their sort of as young as mid twenties, mm-hmm. um, and gosh, I've I've had dieters sort of seventy plus as well. Mm-hmm. And the 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 thing to understand is the appropriate diet. There's not one right diet that a human being should be eating for their entire lifespan. It depends on what you're committed to and where you're at. So you have to think from when you think scientifically context what's the context of that person's life temporality for how long would you have them on that kind of nutritional protocol or program and dose like how much of what Mm -hmm. and so I, i work with people to kind of look at things from that context and my job is to somewhat make myself redundant over a period of time i don't want to be coaching them forever it's like let me work with you for a period of time and give you everything that you need so then you can manage yourself for the rest of your life and if someone's dealing with metabolic syndrome, um, obviously overweight is an obvious one. Uh, Two thirds of the adult population in Australia are overweight. It's like you read my mind. I was about to ask that. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And then it's become so normal for us now that even overweight people don't occur to us as overweight. Mm. Right. And however, we know when we look at ourselves in the mirror and when we try to perform and function in life, we know that there's something that could be improved, you know, and then you get people with a BMI over 30 who are obese and that's a third of the adult population. So that cohort of, when I said two thirds of the adult population are at least overweight, half of them are obese. And can you get results for everyone? And then you said, sorry, sorry, sort Mm. of two parts to the question. You also said you're committed to keeping someone accountable. Like, do you set a goal with your client from the outset and then do you have any sort of like guarantee or not guarantee but like I'll work with you until we reach that goal if it's like you obviously set a realistic one yeah absolutely there's look that I mean guarantee is a <laughs> is a double-edged sword yeah you know on one hand yes I could I could say I can guarantee it why because I put you on 
a lower calorie, there's a sufficient calorie deficit that you just, you will lose weight, right? There's just, you do what I say, there's no way that it wouldn't work, okay? And, but you're also dealing with a human being who's not always going to do what they're told. The rules, yeah. I mean, look at us, right? You know, up until about from what, one to 11 years of age was the most intense training period of our life. And most of the education and training and development that we got came in the form of don't do that, don't go there, stop that, let that go, don't do this. And you get to about preteen age and you're like, don't tell me what to do. Yeah. This is my life, let me do it. (laughs) So now as adults, now you've got to deal with your life is being run by this juvenile brain trying to manage an adult aging body. Mm. So that juvenile brain is like they're saying, you know, I just want to do what I want to do when I want to do it. Well, too bad, so sad. You don't get to do that because there are laws of physics and biology that you have to respect and be responsible for. Mm. Right. So, of course, I can I can guarantee it. But in life, there are no guarantees. If you want guarantees in life, you're not you don't want life. You're living in some kind of fantasy. Mm. Right. However, there is uh, some clinical data that I can put in front of people. I can tell people that, you know, of the people that I work with uh, personally, 86 to 90% of them uh, fulfill the target weight that they, we set together for them. I work with them, weekly coaching sessions to coach, train, develop, educate, and empower them to not only do it the way it's designed over a long enough period of time where their body can adapt, they, their body will adapt to be um, primarily... Uh, be a fat burning machine Mm. right independent of exercise there's you know as you know there's very little to next to no scientific evidence that suggests exercise is important for fat reduction (laughs) okay Um, they'll also adapt so they become ketone adapted they adapt uh, in terms of their body's ability to utilize amino acids more efficiently as a fuel Um, they also adapt to a lower calorie intake so there's some gene expression changes that happen along the way that is more conducive towards longevity than if you were to just eat a little bit less and exercise. Now, this isn't to discount the importance of exercise. Exercise has a great deal of importance. It's just not so critical as we all think for the fat reduction and the transformation of one's metabolic health. And could you give some examples of some tr- transformations you've had, like in terms of how many kilos they've lost or yeah i mean it's been great um you know finishing 2020 with a number of my clients particularly who engaged my services last year during the pandemic when everyone was stuck at home eating biscuits and baking cakes and we all had those covid kilos right getting getting a a little bit out of weight (laughs) uh overweight and then you know and then there were people who engaged me and they just got better and better it was like it was a perfect opportunity for them whilst they're at home um, to do something like this where they could really control their environment their eating habits um, their the people in their life you're pretty much just stuck at home with your family so they you know i have clients that lost 50 kilograms oh my god wow over how what sort of time period would this be uh that was over about seven months wow wow yeah. wow yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah, I mean, look, 
That's like what Ella weighs. <laughs> <laughs> you gone. <laughs> I mean, my daughter's like, what, 30 kilograms. Oh, my God. And we consume and her in sugar. <laughs> I know. So I carry her around. I remember we, we had a little, uh, what do you call it, like a staycation or something, stayed at the ho- one of the yeah. hotels in the rocks and for a couple of nights just to give her an experience of yeah, getting so away and, and we're in the rocks, et cetera, and wa- walking around, wandering around the city, and she was often on my back. So I had an experience of oh. carrying 30 kilograms and then at the end of the day, putting it down and just thinking to myself, wow, how must that be like for my clients oh that my drop God. 20, 30, 40 kilograms? Yeah. Like when they wake up in the morning, they roll over and that mass that was previously there is just isn't there anymore. Or when they're getting dressed and they're trying to tie their shoes up, that gut that used to be in the way. Mm just isn't inhibitory to them anymore Mm. or they climb that flight of stairs and they're not out of breath it's like wow how much further can I push myself what more can I do Mm. and more importantly it's the clarity of mind you know the brain fog disappears um the aches and pains because the a major contributor to people's ill health is not just the 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 body shape um but that visceral fat the fat particularly around our midsection um, generates or causes a lot of inflammation. Mm. So we end up with this higher amount of what we call low-grade chronic inflammation. And your body just can't seem to regenerate and heal appropriately uh, in a background context of inflammation. And so people's uh, soft tissue issues heal and, and they stop hurting so much so they can mm. do more. Um, people's sexual vitality improves. And I don't just mean sexual function in terms of vascular health, improving erectile dysfunction in men. Wow. Or, you know, women often report, you know, um, their vaginas start lubricating again and they're enjoying sex more mm. um, and they want it more. And so it makes a big difference to relationships. Mm. Um, but especially so for men, that sexual vitality in terms of just, and I don't mean just being up for sex i mean being up for life like being up for the game of life Mm. that motivation comes back you know so hormonal profiles improve and correct and i mean it just i it's so fulfilling to me to watch the difference that gets made in people's lives you know as they go through this they're being coached on a diet yet i'm seeing them take on new careers and transform their relationships and just get up to bigger things in life where previously they really held back in how they participated, you know. So I think health really is a function of participation and it's great to watch people break through into that new world. Absolutely. How, that's, yeah, would be the most rewarding job. Mm. And how big a life change is it for some of these people? Like are you, you know, does it, is there a readjustment period and is it like a massive change in their current, what they currently do? Um, yes and no. Like, in, on one hand, the kind of protocol that I need people to adhere to for a period of time, it's not forever, uh, just until a metabolic dysfunction gets corrected, mm-hmm. uh, is very workable. It's very easily implemented into their life. And it's, it's also uncomfortable from time to time, you know. And if you look at the literature around longevity and improving health span, what seems to be consistent amongst all of it, is you need to have times or periods of being uncomfortable. Mm. You know, if you look at ill health and obesity, it really is a disease of convenience and comfort. Mm. And so you want to challenge yourself. You want to create challenges. But you want to be the one that creates them. 
rather than having life slap you in the face and with you know after a myocardial infarction and there you are recovering from a heart attack and then you're more at risk of developing type 2 diabetes and it's i mean that's one of the the real issues these days is you don't die from your first heart attack but the quality of life isn't necessarily that great after it you know so um, and a lot of people think oh yeah type 2 diabetes can't you just control that with diet yes you can but it's like it takes a a, a very high degree of intentionality and focus and support um, and it's not something you will want to have to do because you know being on dialysis because of you know dysfunctional kidneys mm. or losing your eyesight because of the microvascular damage um, or like I said you know um, erectile dysfunction and losing that part of your life which is really important it's a really important part of life in terms of your who, your sense of who you are and your confidence and you know your relationship quality so people experience um, breakthroughs from coming off medications mm. it's it's fantastic when you get people off the blood pressure medications yeah. and the cholesterol meds and um, their posture improves because a they're, they're more confident in how they appear um, but also their breathing improves and so their brain gets oxygenated better and the brain controls their posture and that sort of straightens up and allows them to do more. Mm. Um, you get people who, um, you know, I had one 67-year-old man who has this very rare form of autoimmune disease. Mm. And it's so rare, there's only 300 reported cases in oh, the world. Wow. I think he was the first one ever diagnosed in Australia. And how they treated it, like if untreated, he would just break out in urticaria, like hives and, yeah. and really bad joint pain and it was exhausting for him and those symptoms would come about within hours and it was great to work with him and he lost i don't know 18 20 kilograms uh and just looked younger mm. and it was wonderful to get messages from his family because they were so concerned that they were going to lose him and wow. everything he came to life again he he re-landscaped his backyard and yeah. all that sort of stuff but he even which scared the but Jesus out of me, you know, he started toying around not taking his daily medication that he was supposed to take, uh -huh. which was an injectable called um, Anakinra, which is uh, one of these biological um, drugs. And he would inject it um, yeah. subcutaneously every day. And if he didn't, he would, like I said, break out into those symptoms. Yeah. Um, and he, after about six weeks on protocol, he started toying around with not taking the drugs and he went a couple of days and there, he remained symptom free, wow. which was extraordinary. I said to him, cut it out. You got to do as your doctor says, right? So he went back to his doctors and they were just, you know, just so pleased and happy for him. And, wow. you know, so there, there are those kind of stories. And then there's, you know, others, people who just have never had any power dealing with their weight. They've always just been overweight. Mm. And it's really refreshing for them when they come and see me or speak to me over the phone. It's like, you know, how come you're fat? And they can, it's, it's like a relief. They can, there's no PC yeah. kind of conversations with me. It's like we deal with the reality. You know it. Everyone knows it. You can't hide it. Let's deal with it. Mm. But let's actually deal with it. So it's dealt with. And then you can use your life to get up to something way more interesting. And, and you know, you don't want to have to waste time always worried about how you look and how you feel yeah there's so much more to life yeah and can you explain the program a little to us you mentioned that there's like a six week sort of initial phase and then what's the maintenance 
Like oh, yeah. So I've been... So one of, one of the protocols or programs is a metabolic reset. Mm-hmm. So oftentimes people don't need to lose that much weight. Mm. Yeah. Right? It's like, oh, they come to me, Dean, I just want to lose like three to five kilograms. It's like, oh, man, I used to think... Why are you calling me? Just take your shoes off, do a poo, jump on the scales, it'll be lighter. Like it's, um, but then I thought, you know, it's not just about that. People really want to have an experience of losing the weight and learning the nutritional biochemistry and, and so forth. the front foot of like bad health, I guess. Exactly, yeah. yeah. And understand the, the relationship between carbohydrates and sugar intake and the role that that plays on your hormones and how to rebalance insulin and glucagon levels and improve insulin sensitivity. And so you've got to learn all of this stuff and your brain has to rewire as well. There's no point in losing the weight and then just putting it back on again. Yeah. And people go through that kind of cycle too much. And for, especially for women, you get into your mid forties and you've gone through that cycle enough times. And every time you do it, you lose the weight and put it back on and it becomes mm. harder and harder to lose the weight the next time around. And you get to the point where you're just like, screw it everyone just needs to love me the way that i am (laughs) but you don't right so good luck Mm. and it's so you want to learn all the stuff that's going to empower you and when people the the penny drops it's like all of a sudden everything that you've learned from the different nutritional approaches it's like what's the value in the vegan style or that way of eating and what about keto and what about paleo and what about carnivore diet and it's And so I just see things as molecules and cells. And so you'll start to relate to your body as a skin bag that you have to be (laughs) responsible for. It's not you. You have a body. You are not your body, just like you have a hand, but you are not your hand. Mm. Right? And when you can start to have a very objective relationship to your body, then it becomes very powerful in how you then look after it. And you start to look after it. Like when you borrow a car, if you borrow someone's expensive car, you're not going to put E10 petrol in it. You're not going to throw your McDonald's wrapper on the floor. You'll make sure it gets serviced on time. It's kind of you treat it a particular way. But if you own it, it's just like, you know, you trash things. You know, you'll do everything for everyone else mm. first. And, and then so people have to learn to prioritize their health. People have to discover that... Um, your body is perfectly correlated to the life that you live. Everyone wants a new body, but they don't want to deal with the life that they live. Mm. And their life is constituted by the commitments that they're out to fulfill. So you want to get clear about, well, I've got this skin bag (laughs) of a body. How am I going to utilize it? What do I want to get up to that's bigger than me? What kind of a compelling life and future could I create? where I just wouldn't compromise my health because what I'm up to is too damn important. I need to be well to be able to fulfill on it. Mm. You know, so people need to understand the importance of um, adapting to a lower calorie intake. Um, You've got to understand what regulates hunger. And that's everything. I I teach people from the the biochemistry of ghrelin and the incretin system and how your brain, all of this sort of stuff, but also little things like my daughter... You'll love this, right? So she's she's eight. She says to me one time, this wasn't that long ago, a couple of months ago, she says, Dad, I'm hungry. I said, I was sitting on the couch in the lounge room. I said, come here, sweetie. Let's deal with your hunger. And she was just standing there a little bit confused because where you deal with hungry is the kitchen, <laughs> not the lounge room, right? So she comes over hesitantly and she sits on my lap and I said, all right, just close your eyes. 
and just tell me, where is this hunger that you speak of? And she rubs her tummy and I said, okay, and what do you tell yourself about this experience? She says, I want to eat. I said, very good, yeah, if I feel hungry, of course, makes sense, right? She nods her head and I said, okay, and what are you experiencing now? She said, I'm annoyed. I go, where do you experience the annoyance? And she gestured to her face. And I said, great, what do you tell yourself about the annoyance? She said, I don't know what you're doing, Dad. <laughs> right? And I said, and what about now? What do you experience? She said, I'm bored. I said, very good, where do you experience the boredom in your body? And she just jumped up off my lap, right? She said, can I just go play now? And I said, good, but just answer me one question. Where's the hunger gone? She goes, I'm not hungry. <laughs> right? And she went play, and I said, dinner will be ready in an hour. You know, all my kids come to me, Dad, I'm starving. And they use this very dramatic, colorful <laughs> kind of language. You know, I'm starving. It's like, listen, come here. Let me show you pictures of kids that are starving. That ain't you. Mm. Right? So you've got to have some context and you've got to learn this and you've got to retrain your brain over time. And this takes time. But I utilize a, a very powerful ketogenic process and there's a lot of confusion around the ketogenic diet and what that means and people think it's high fat i don't have people on a high fat diet mm-hmm. uh, if you consume this there's, there's some good enough evidence now that suggests a high fat diet really messes with the gut microbiome mm-hmm. and so i consult with the world's leading experts in gut health from a microbiologist here in sydney uh, to a world famous gastroenterologist here Um, to another one in California Mm -hmm. Um, and you know they've pioneered a number of things but I get to speak to the best of the best Mm -hmm. and and make that information available to my clients as well Um, but I have them on a very uh, carbohydrate restricted diet which is what drives not just ketosis you've got to have um, a calorie restriction but you create a sufficient calorie sorry a carbohydrate restriction and create a sufficient calorie deficit that too puts the body into ketosis. It's not mm-hmm. about fat intake. Mm-hmm. And, and what is ketosis? Yeah. Ke- ketosis. Well, I've heard a lot yeah. about this diet online. Yes. I don't know. Have you? I've never, yeah. I've never yeah. really fully, I don't really understand what it is, but there's a lot of like big names that talk about it. Like apparently LeBron James does keto mm. and I think the Kardashians have had a little stint with that. So yeah. I mean, LeBron James is, you, people have to be, uh, responsible for when they try to emulate what athletes do. Yeah. You know, athletes... They there's, don't there's, live normal lives. <laughs> no, they don't. They really don't. There's the phenomenon called the athlete's paradox where they can basically eat whatever they want, right? And, you know, I had... Um, yeah, I won't say his name, but you can figure out who it is. Australia's greatest ever uh, Olympic athlete. Um, you know, he's around <laughs> my house and, and you know, I, asked, I said to him, you know, how much did you have to eat when you were at your peak and and it was minimum 6,000 calories a day. Oh my God. And I was like, dude, what was that like? And he he said, Dean, it was exhausting. It was like, you know, eating large, like what you would eat, but larger meals and double it. Mm. And and it just took so much energy just to sit there and have to chew through all of that. So, you know, these guys aren't immortal anymore. You know, once they stop training at that level, you know, then they're, they're mortal like you and I, and they've got to be responsible for how their body will respond. And um, so uh, the, the keto diet really, you know, for the most part, the standard keto diet came about in the 1920s. There were some neurologists that wanted to study uh, glucose toxicity in the brains of epileptic children. Mm-hmm. So these are children. 
You don't want to put them on a calorie restricted diet. So they restricted the carbohydrate load, but they bulked up the calories with the fat content. Okay. Right. And we know, we've seen the studies now where if you just took metabolically stable patients who have had a stable weight for three years, say, and you just kept them on the same amount of protein and carbohydrates that they have been consuming, but increased the total fat intake, and you could increase their total daily calorie intake to 3,000 calories, 4,000 calories, 5,000 calories, 6,000 calories. They maxed out at 6,800 calories, and these people didn't gain weight. Really? Yeah. Now, if you start increasing their carbohydrate content yeah. and further stimulating insulin, insulin is the only hormone in the human body that can create the formation of triglycerides. Mm-hmm. That's the fat storage hormone. So insulin promotes fat deposition in our fat tissue, in our adipose cells, and it also locks it in. So even if you're trying to create a sufficient calorie deficit through exercise, which is bloody hard to do, if you're consuming enough carbohydrates throughout the day and have a higher level of insulin, then you're going to be in the gym, on the treadmill, working your butt off, and your butt's not coming off. Why? Because you're sipping Gatorade. I think you just turned me off carbs for life. (laughs) Is that just because it's harder for the fat to break down or? Well, it is. It stores the fat? Yeah. Your body, this is what people need to understand is there's a, your, uh, it's an evolutionary process, right? So you're fighting against thousands of years of evolution. Your body was designed to put fat on, wasn't designed to take it off so readily. Mm. Okay. Particularly in this current nutritional environment and the way that we eat. Um, and then you're fighting against environments that don't support you to be well. There's just bad food choices everywhere. And then about 40 years worth of misinformation. You know, they, they released the, the food pyramid in 1992. The USDA released that. It was next to no scientific kind of backing. And, and it, was, it taught us to max out on carbs and cut fat out. And heart disease just kept going up. Mm. And type 2 diabetes kept going up. So what's going on here is... You keep eating carbs, you keep stimulating the release of insulin. Insulin then causes insulin resistance. Yeah. Your, your tissue won't respond to it as much. So then your pancreas has to release even more insulin. Mm. Insulin is so inflammatory, it'll cause brain fog, lethargy, mm. won't allow your tissues to regenerate appropriately, polycystic ovary syndrome, infertility issues. Mm. You have too much insulin, your ovaries will oversecrete testosterone. Women end up with hirsutism where you get too much facial hair on the chin, mm-hmm. for example. All this is reversible, mm. you know, which is great news. So when you are on this ketosis diet, can you exercise regularly? Um, you can, and I do encourage people to move. I mean, that's why we have a brain. You know, organisms that have a brain move. Trees don't have a brain, they don't move. So mm. you have to move. You're designed to move. However, if you've restricted your carbohydrate intake to the point where you're in ketosis all that means is your body is utilizing your own fat as a fuel source so the fatty acids are being released transported to your liver your liver is converting them into what we call ketones they're molecules acetoacetate acetone and beta hydroxybutyrate your body then utilizes those molecules as a fuel instead of glucose Mm. which is derived from carbohydrates. So if you've exhausted your muscle glycogen or carbohydrate stores, then you ought not to be doing strenuous exercise 
if you go to the gym and work out and get your heart rate above 70% of maximal heart rate, then it creates too much of an um, energy exertion. What will happen is your body will and your brain will cause you to want to eat more, mm -hmm. to fuel that. Your appetite will increase. And if you're metabolically deranged, in other words, you've found it really difficult to lose weight over a period of time, and you go on a low-carb or carb-restricted diet, and then you're exercising strenuously, your body won't necessarily switch into burning its own fat stores. What will happen is your brain will just cause you to crave more carbohydrates. Right. And you haven't yet developed the discipline and the wherewithal and the know-how to manage yourself around that. So I say to my clients, don't exercise, don't do anything, just sit on the couch, I'm gonna turn your body into a fat-burning machine. After about four to six weeks, after your body's adapted to utilizing the ketones more efficiently as a fuel, my clients come to me saying, Dean, I just, I feel better. I wanna move more, I wanna exercise. Can I start exercising now? Great, now we'll increase the frequency and duration, but certainly keep the intensity down. Mm -hmm. Later, when we reintroduce carbohydrates and fat back into the diet, then exercise becomes critical mm. in maintaining those results over time. And what about alcohol? Because isn't there a lot of carbohydrates in alcohol? There can be, but I tell you, the, the biggest danger around consuming alcohol whilst you're in ketosis, if you really are in ketosis, how do you know you're in ketosis? No need to buy these strips that you pee on and they turn purple. Leave them in the chemists for the diabetics. Right? How you know you're in ketosis is you're getting on the scales and the weight's going down. Okay. If you're losing weight, you're in ketosis. Yeah. Right? So ketosis is no big deal. It's just a carb restriction and a sufficient calorie deficit. It's got really not that much to do with fat intake. Okay? Contrary to popular belief at the mm -hmm. moment. So if you're in ketosis and you consume alcohol, it's detrimental because there are still some tissues in your body that require glucose. Your brain your red blood cells, call them erythrocytes, and your adrenal medulla. These tissues still require glucose, but you don't need to eat carbs to fuel them. Mm. You're, so long as you eat enough protein and your body has a supply of amino acids, your liver will convert those amino acids and your kidneys into glucose in just the right amount that your brain, red blood cells, and adrenal medulla need. Mm. That process whereby the kidneys and the liver convert amino acids into glucose is called gluconeogenesis, mm -hmm. the bringing forth of new glucose. Alcohol inhibits that process. So if you consume alcohol whilst you're in ketosis, you run the risk of inhibiting gluconeogenesis in your liver, therefore your brain won't get a sufficient amount of glucose and you could pass out your, your blood alcohol level still may be in the normal range, but cognitively, it has a huge impact. You fall, you hit your head on the side of, or a corner of a table, you end up in an accident, an emergency, and they're saying, what are you doing differently? Oh, I started Dean's diet. <laughs> so when, when clients start with me, there's a rule, whilst you're in the restricted ketogenic phase, no alcohol consumption, right? And this is what irks me a lot, particularly when you go online, you see these you know, posts around keto-friendly alcoholic beverages. From a health and safety perspective, there is no such thing. If you're in ketosis, do not consume alcohol.
And is this like a lifetime commitment to not really having carbs or is this, as you mentioned, like the six weeks of like metabolic readjusting? Look, it's more, and that, then... that's a metabolic reset, but there are people yeah. that just need to be on that protocol for longer, for longer yeah. until they hit their target weight. So women will typically lose one to one and a half kilograms per week. Okay. Men yeah. will lose double. And then what happens when they hit their target weight? Then I take them through a staged transition yeah. back to a more balanced whole food diet. Yeah. And then I still don't trust them with their body. <laughs> right. And I keep them on a stabilization program. So people need to learn and I have to work with them and train their brain to keep their body at that new health set point. Mm, and you've got to develop some discipline and you've got to... There's more intellectual effort that's required mm. when you now have freedom of choice, right? It's so hard because anytime I've been on a diet, I know I'll lose the weight and then I go, oh, mm. I'm looking hot. I'm going to eat whatever I want. I'm going to go out. I'm going to drink heaps. And yeah. then you just go backwards. It's harder to make a lifestyle change. Yeah. yeah. And you do. you got to like create yo-yo those diet. lifestyle changes. And particularly yeah. when you can't be bothered to cook. Like it's hard to eat well out. That's right. And people always say to me, Dina, oh, you've got to make it convenient for people. It's like, no, that's what got them into trouble. (laughs) People need to learn to be a little bit uncomfortable here and there, but you learn to be with that uncomfortableness, you know, and you stop making it wrong because people feel a little bit uncomfortable and their interpretation of that experience is there's something wrong here. Mm. I need to fix it. I need to satisfy myself. I need to be kind to myself by eating that pizza or having that chocolate. (laughs) But it's kind of like you're not... I feel sorry for myself. Yeah. It's kind of like you're not going to solve the you're not going to have a solution to the problem in the environment the problem was created in so you've got to be ready to like step out and kind of so you obviously do you eat keto keto or like this no so it's i i eat similar to what people would eat during that stabilization stabilization and performance optimization part of the program where it's more mediterranean style you know i'll eat you know the specifics if people want to know sort of you know 0.8 to a gram of protein per kilogram uh, of, um, you know, lean mass. And then uh, sort of 30 to 40% of my total calorie intake would be fat, you Mm -hmm. know, sort of Mm -hmm. olive oil and avocados and fish oil, that kind of stuff. And so what do you eat when you go out? Like, are you the guy that gets a salad? Yeah. Because you don't know what what they're cooking in. Or when you go to Italian, what would you get? I eat Italian. I don't eat Chinese when I go to an Italian restaurant. No, <laughs> I don't but, think they serve that, right? <laughs> but like, so you have pasta and pizza. And oh whatever. yeah, is that like a fine. cheat meal? No, no, I don't do cheat. I don't buy into the. See, here's the thing: I don't want people with the experience of guilt. Mm. No, you ought to be able to experience and appreciate and life's indulgences and pleasures, and but you've got to do it as an adult. You can't do it every day. It's not the two liters mm. of ice cream that you smash mm. in one sitting when you're depressed because your boyfriend's broken up with you. Mm. It's it's the little treat. It's the those, and, and and it's not once a day. It's often multiple times a day. You'll say to yourself, "Oh, it's just a little bit." It's just and you know, like that every day over a long period of time. That's what gets us into trouble, mm. right? So you've got to have the discipline. And if I have an indulgence, I have an indulgence, but I'll correct it the next day. And people learn to be that kind of disciplined until it's like innate. Mm. And you end up being, you know, we all get annoyed at those skinny people that just seemingly eat whatever the heck they want Mm. uh, and they never put the weight on. But what you don't see is how they regulate their behavior and their eating habits over the next 48 to 72 hours. Yeah. 
And if you were a fly on the wall observing people over a long period of time, you'll start to see, oh, there's patterns of behavior. We just observe the indulgences. Why? Because it's in a social setting. Yeah. Yeah. Of course you're going to see that. Yeah. You know, but I, I love the Mediterranean way of eating. Um, I, I do eat, you know, if, I guess if you were to kind of analyze what I eat, it's, it's whole foods, primarily plant-based. I still eat meat. I try to eat good meat. You know, um, I, I go to a butcher. It takes forever to get there up in Eleanor Heights. Oh, really? Um, he's the only organic biodynamic Demeter certified butcher in New South Wales. I don't even know what that means. (laughs) I just know that the meat tastes amazing and it's expensive and it takes me in 50 minutes to drive there. So I just (laughs) don't buy as much. Yeah. I don't, if you come to my place, I don't have junk food in my place. Why? Because I don't buy it. Why don't I buy it? Because I don't trust myself. If I had it there in my environment, I would eat it. It's so funny because, like, I live between my dad's place and my mum's place. And I recently, like, moved back into my mum's. From going from one environment to the other, I've lost about two kilos. Because (laughs) here at dad's, there's about a freezer full of bread and you know i just eat 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 at mom's she's more on the healthier side and when when it's not there it just you know it's out of out of your mind and a question you said you normally eat plant-based how do you get your proteins through a plant-based diet like i know tofu but like what are some other foods oh look there's there's, protein we're lucky especially here in australia there's so many um alternative protein products that are on Mm. the market for example you just go into any chemist or the supermarket and there's all these various protein shakes etc um you know that's a great alternative um you know i like the whey whey protein uh is probably the the best um a lot of people uh, you know combine casein they throw casein protein in there thinking that it's absorbed over a longer period of time there's clinical relevance i don't think there's any data that suggests that it's really uh clinically relevant to prolong it you're better off eating the protein with um some plant fiber to prolong that process yeah um, of digestion but pro- uh, casein is too inflammatory to the gut yeah um, plant protein pea protein is fantastic um so there's so many other products that are available but i eat i eat, like i said i eat meat and fish and eggs oh and, you do eat yeah. okay sorry i thought you yeah. meant more plant-based mm. no but it's people just don't eat enough yeah right so if uh, the volume of food is important right so people when they're trying to lose the weight and if you're perpetually on a bloody diet which i just don't like it's like if you're going to engage me this is the last diet you'll ever do yeah we handle it we get you down to your target weight we transition you out i stabilize you there and then you've learned everything that you need to know to manage yourself for the rest of your life that's Mm -hmm. it Mm -hmm. right get up to something way more interesting so if but you've got to be responsible over that time frame and um people make the mistake of when they're trying to lose weight of eating less volume of food Mm. so you want to keep the volume of food quite substantial Mm -hmm. you know so you've got to learn how do you do that you know how do you bulk it out with the right kind of vegetable matter and you know people are always coming to me why why can't i lose the weight i'm eating really clean and i'm just eating salads and it's like what's in your salad 
and mm-hmm. we look at it and it's like there are foods that the Caesar gli- dressing <laughs> yeah there's all these condiments and so forth and the glycemic index of some of the ingredients are too high and the calories are too high and everyone's eating too much avocado and salmon and which are great but not for you right now mm. we'll reintroduce them back when your body can handle it mm. um or too many nuts or, or whatever it might be but you know, people, I take the mystery out of it for people. So cool. then you want to have your hands on the levers and dials of how your body actually works. And, and then you start to see the biological plausibility to this approach and the various other approaches that are out there as well. Yeah. Well, before we wrap up, we also wanted to discuss a little bit today about the wine doctor. Mm. So, yeah, what what is that? I hear it's a healthy kind of wine that promotes longevity and vitality yeah so there's uh there's two important aspects here there's the mediterranean diet Mm -hmm. right so there's a lot of great data um suggesting that the mediterranean diet is probably the best there is when it comes to improving health and longevity and the health span so an important part of the mediterranean diet is the consumption of red wine okay so uh, you can look at the the data around epidemiological data on red wine consumption and it looks like um, despite what the anti-alcohol lobbyists might say um, which is a a sort of hangover from prohibition and then the medical community kind of jumps on board and says there's no healthy amount of alcohol that you ought to be consuming well they're not look they're not giving you the the whole story here so small amounts of alcohol can have a big uh, make a big difference positive impact um, not only with heart health, but also brain health mm. as well. And then there, it's, it's not just alcohol. You've got to look at what kind of alcoholic beverages. So if you split out beer, wine, and spirits, the Copenhagen study back in the early 90s, I think it was, split them out for the first time. And what they showed, uh, regular consumption of moderate amounts of beer mm-hmm. seemed to have a net neutral effect on health outcomes. Really? Spirits? Beer belly. Mm. Moderate amounts. <laughs> now, now you've got a beer. We're not in Australia. Beer is one of these. culture. Yeah, and beer is a, is a weird beverage. I think it's like the only beverage that especially men would consume copious amounts of when they're not thirsty. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So true. So, but then uh, regular consumption of moderate amounts of spirits had a net negative impact on health outcomes. Mm, okay. But when you looked at wine... Consistently, what we see is wine has a net positive effect on health outcomes. And that's reds as opposed to whites. Did they split that more, out? More so. Even white wines can have some health benefits, but red wine seems to be more powerful. Why? An Australian scientist who a lot of people are familiar with these days, he's somewhat of a rock star in the anti-aging world, David Sinclair, mm-hmm. made this molecule called resveratrol famous in 2006 when he uh, gave resveratrol to fat-fed rats and they um still were obese but they didn't die of the obesity related diseases interesting and they lived normal life lengths and then on autopsy their insides looked healthy yeah right so then resveratrol became famous and wine sales went through the roof okay and so this molecule resveratrol you want to look at it two uh worlds Wine has benefits, Mm -hmm. and then there's this molecule, resveratrol, that's been shown to have some great benefits, and wine has a relatively decent amount 
of resveratrol in there. Now, what's best about wine, and this is the key thing that people need to understand, is wine, in that context, it's a great delivery medium. Mm -hmm. The resveratrol is not soluble in aqueous solution in water. Oh, so it needs the wine. It needs the alcohol. So the resveratrol, and it's not just resveratrol, there's a cocktail of about 500 different polyphenol antioxidants Mm. that are liberated from the grape skins Mm. during fermentation, now when there's some ethanol present. So now you've got this cocktail of anti-aging molecules wow. that you can combine and, or you consume them in combination. They have a synergistic effect. They're not in isolation. And, um, you know, so that's why uh, I am a huge advocate of regular consumption of moderate amounts of wine. And what we've done with the wine doctor is we've elevated these anti-aging molecules right. 20 to 100 times. So do you actually produce the wine? Yeah, Noden's Group okay. uh, is the wine producer. Yeah. Um, so we make the, the wine Barossa Valley Shiraz. Mm-hmm. We can make any varietal, uh, including white wines, with a yeah. higher resveratrol content. So it's uh, better for you than normal wine? Yeah. So how much Ooh. could we drink a day? Like, are we talking a bottle? Or <laughs> <laughs> do I get Moderate. a straw? <laughs> well, well, this is an interesting one. If you speak to Dr. Norrie, who's my clinical director... Um, at Simpler Health or clinic, Senior Clinical Advisor, rather, he's the inventor of this resveratrol-enhanced wine, mm-hmm. which is patented Australian technology, right? Um, he, if you asked him what kind of quantity ought we be consuming, he would say moderation is a bottle of wine per day consumed between two people oh. with men having slightly more than women. <laughs> now, I had my bloods tested last year and there were a few uh, parameters that were a bit out of whack, mm-hmm. which my doctor and I were looking at. It was a bit of an anomaly. We're like, what the heck's going on here? Uh-huh. We, I didn't understand it. And I spoke to my senior scientific advisor. He's a world-leading expert. He's based in San Diego in California. Yeah. And he just started laughing. And he said, how long have you been in lockdown? Like, and I said, two months. And he goes, right. And so you're at home in lockdown. You've got an endless supply of this wine doctor wine i said that's right he goes so how much have you been drinking dude (laughs) and i said i don't know like a couple of glasses you're like i don't know i can't remember (laughs) he goes like one to two or you know two to three and i said "Mm, maybe two to three yeah and he goes you can't drink that much and i said but come on that sort of fits within the the amount of that dr nori would say is moderate and he said yeah but buddy you're half asian (laughs) you can't drink like that (laughs) right so you know, we all have to be responsible for what our body can handle given our genetic background, yeah. but also the constitution of our gut microbiome and our metabolic health. Mm, cool. But if you had a glass a day, that would be great. We yeah. even have a more concentrated version called Resolixa, mm-hmm. which is a, we put it in a cask and you just tap out 30 to 50 mils. And just in that amount, it would contain the same amount of antioxidants that you would get from 10 normal bottles of wine or up to 10 normal bottles of wine. Will it get you as drunk as that? No. Well, (laughs) I'm just joking. If you drank enough of it, but (laughs) if you're only having 30 meals a day. Yeah. So people who don't want to consume much alcohol, but they do want the health benefits. Yeah. And it absorbs through the lining of the mouth. Mm. We think a couple of hundred times more efficiently than through the gut. So when you have wine now, you'll have smaller sips, you'll coat your mouth and you'll savor it, you'll enjoy it. And you'll let the resveratrol and the other polyphenol antioxidants, like epicatechins, fisetin, quercetin, 
they'll absorb in, directly into your bloodstream and be more bioavailable to your tissues. Wow. Can't wait to try it. <laughs> Sorry I didn't bring you guys. Yeah. Me. I just completely didn't uh, think of it. Yeah. No, do we see Well, anything? thank you so much for joining us today and sharing all of this valuable information. It's been incredible and we've learned a lot from coronavirus to keto diet. Is it keto or keto? Keto. 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 Ketogenic. It just means that your body's keto. utilizing and burning fat. Yeah. <laughs> and now the wine doctor. This has been a jam-packed episode. Where can our listeners learn more about you and your brands? Yeah, I'm kind of building that out, but they can visit Simpler Health. Um, so that's S-I-M-P-L-R mm-hmm. dot health. Mm-hmm. Um, they can look me up on Facebook, contact me through my personal Facebook page. Mm-hmm. Um, you can see some videos uh, called Chewing the Fat. Yeah. Um, I'm an expert in not only how to lose fat, but also how to use fat. So I have some expertise in regenerative medicine and stem cell medicine that we can talk about another time. Yeah, I'll um, have to get I'm, you back yeah. on. Yeah, yeah, I love the context of, um, you know, Cosmochicks because it's not just about your aesthetic appearance. You have to look after your internal biochemistry and learn those distinctions early on such that your face doesn't age at the rate that it would if you didn't look after your yeah. internal biochemistry. Absolutely, yeah. Well, thank you so much for joining us. Yeah. And we'll put all of these links in the show notes. And if you have any questions, you can also message us on Cosmochips Instagram. So thank you, everyone, and we will see you next week. Bye.